now we're going to go into non FPL questions, right? And I'm I'm going to I'm going to randomly class this as extra time, right? Because we've been talking for a fair bit already. So let's just say the 90 minutes is up. So this one comes from Johnny Lawson, and this is his non FPL related questions. And his first one is: Will transfer fees get so big that eventually players sign shorter deals? which will mean much larger salaries and smaller transfer fees slash more free transfers. What do you think, State? I don't think that's going to happen personally until there's maybe a huge crash like in, in the market for it all. I mean, transfer fees are, are big, but I think at the same time, you know, there's you know, maybe the, the, the pandemic's actually maybe stopped some of that. You know, there wasn't any, you know, Ridiculous! I don't think I can't recall there was hundred plus million transfer fee in the summer this year. Um, really, um, you know Ronaldo's twenty million. I know it's an age thing, but you know clubs bought who bought in players. Or, or Grealish was a lot of money, one I suppose. But you know there wasn't. I I I still I don't see that happening for a while. I, I see where you're coming from, and I think yeah that that could definitely be the case when. When things maybe get a bit too much, but at the same time, clubs when they buy spend big on the player, they tend to want to tie him down to a, a big, a big, um, a long contract, you know, a four or five year contract because they want to get the money back in performance in shirt sales. You know, if he performs on the pitch for them, they'll get the prize money as well from it, you know. So I don't think they'll, they'll be um, shorter deals signed for players on, on big money at this moment in time. I just see. If the bigger the money, the, the longer the contract, you're probably going to want to try and time into at least just for, so you can earn that money back in, in revenue. Because when you spend big on a big player, you're hoping they've got a, a, more than just a, a playing appeal. You're looking for that global appeal now. Someone who brings in the sponsorships, brings in the shirt sales and you know the fans, etc. I think you know that's what you're looking for in that, you know. Jack Grealish was a great example in the summer. Every England family begging for Jack Grealish to play in that. And, you know, no one begrudged him. He's moved to Man City. But then that also then had effects that, you know, other nations that were watching were like, oh, everyone's talking about Jack Grealish. So they're going to start talking about it. And people getting Grealish, growing the hair like Grealish or doing, doing stuff like that. I think that the mum, they'll still keep them tied to a long deal. Long deal. I think he'll take the market to crash before something happens, I think transfer fees will come down before shorter sort of um, players uh, play before players signing shorter deals. Personally, I I think that the trend has already started really with COVID and all that. I just think that when I play football manager, for instance, I will always be looking to see whose contracts coming to an end because I just think that you know there might be someone on a big wage who I can get for nothing. And then I just put a lot of money into their wages and just hope that they do well for me. But there's less pressure on you if there's no transfer fee. Like Grealish has gone in there and there's a lot of pressure. He He's the kind of person who probably thrives on that kind of pressure. But if you're someone who's not as big a fan as the big transfer fees might, it might kind of get you a little bit, then actually that kind of way of... I think that they do it similarly in in the States, don't they, with their sports where they don't really go for any money. They just trade players, but they're on huge salaries. Like they're much bigger yeah. over than they are here, like the basketball players and stuff mm. like that. 
But yeah, I, I think I think I can see that happening. To be honest, there aren't many players nowadays that like, you can actually afford to buy. Like you know, Salah. I mean, mm. how much? Who's gonna? The only way that he can actually move from Liverpool is if he's out of contract or if, if I guess, Barcelona, Real Madrid or a PSG. He forces or a move. And yeah, he forces a move. They'd he still have to pay a lot of money. Definitely. I mean, look at look at Kane right now. Yeah, so the amount of money that chairman value their players at nowadays, I think it would be quite tough for, for them to be spending so much money. So, and the play, yeah, again, like financial fair play, Maybe that will be a factor as well, where teams are actually maybe considering that, and therefore having to wait for the these teams to mm. these players to see out their contracts. So, yeah, personally, I think that that is the way it's going. But we we uh, we differ on one of these questions for once because yeah. we've agreed with, apart from the fact yeah. that you slagged off Watford. But okay, <laughs> should uh, should the Champions League be a two leg knockout from the start? Yeah, I remember watching. Champions League, I thought it was called the European Cup, wasn't it? Back in the before the book turned into the Champions League, and I remember those two-legged games. You know, Man United struggled getting past you know teams like Lokomotiv Moscow and stuff in the past, or um, they played against Galatasaray in two-legged games, and and you know lost on on away goals and stuff. I think yeah, the groups just give the bigger teams too many chances because. You know, they get six games there and the chances are they, they mess up a couple, but they, they'll then, you know, win three, draw one and, and scrape through. A two-legged affair, you know, you have one bad game and you're 3-4-0 down, you've got it all to play for. And, and we've seen it in when you get great ties in the in the knockout stages because teams have got to, you know, some teams will just go for it, you know, and, and, they'll, and they'll get placed. And that's why we've seen teams... Who've made it far, you know, from doing stuff like that. You know, look at Ajax getting to the semis of the year, Spurs getting to the final, beating Ajax, you know, coming back. I think two related ties, maybe teams have got to be on it from day one. You know, Manchester United would have been knocked out by Atlanta, wouldn't that, Atalanta, if it's in a two legged game because on away goals, because I put 3 2 at Old Trafford and 2 1 over in Atlanta, they've been out, you know, on away goals there. So I think. Yeah, two-legged times, I think he's better. I think it's just it's more entertaining. The, the games have got a lot more riding on it. You have these dead rubbers when a team like Bayern have won the first five, four games and already qualified. And the next two games, they're, they're meaningless for them. If they're playing against uh, some poor sap in the group who are just getting stuffed and already in last place, not even going to get a UEFA Cup spot. I think, you know, that's it. I don't agree with Champions League teams coming third and going into the Europa League. Why not? Should they deserve to get another chance in Europe after failing to get out of the group? Should they balls? If they've not been good enough to be in the top two in the group, don't reward them by letting them stay in Europe. Say, see you later, son. You're not getting a chance of winning European football this year. No chance. Uh, I I totally agree with all those points, mate. I I think that the reason why it will never happen is because UEFA. Would yeah, they, they they desperately want to get the most out of, you know. So let's just use an example as as Barcelona, massive cash cow, you know, a team, a globalized team that everyone wants to see, especially when they had like Messi and Xavi and Iniesta. Everyone wants to see them playing as much as possible. So if they get to the Champions League, which they will do every year, because there's no chance that they're going to finish outside the top 
three really of Spanish football. So the fact is that, I mean, they might actually not do it this year, who knows, but they will basically find themselves at least six games because of the group stages. If they struggle in that, they're not going to finish bottom. So if they finish third, then they go into the Europa. So they, then they get you know a few more games there that, that might get them all the way through. But if they're on song like they have been back in the day with, like I say, those, those three players, then they're going to get six games and then the last 16 quarterfinals, semifinals, finals, and that's that's plenty of games. If they do a two-leg knockout from the start, they could go out in the first round to, I don't know, Real Madrid, or they could get knocked out by Liverpool or something. That's that gone. Definitely. It's just it just doesn't make sense to UEFA to do that. But personally, no, they're not going to do it. No, no. No, I, I I was watching a documentary the other day, which if you haven't seen it and you've got Netflix, please, please, please watch it. It's brilliant. It's called I Believe in Miracles. It's all about the Nottingham Forest. Um, ride from being second division relegation strugglers to you know european cup winners under brian clough it's brilliant documentary the thing about it was when they got into europe for the first year the team they got in the first round of the european cup was liverpool and it was a killer for them because they were hoping they would go to all these different places around the around europe you know go to spain go to portugal italy and they find themselves going to Liverpool, who at the time were probably one of the best teams in Europe. So they were, I don't know, shit themselves. They were going to go out. But the whole thing about it was that they ended up playing Malmo in the final. Now, like, you just don't get that nowadays, do you? You, you know, it's no, the same teams every not. year. Like, if, you, if you're a smaller country like Sweden with Malmo, you know, if you get a really favourable draw, you could find yourself in the quarterfinals, semifinals, making a name for yourself. The money will be, you know, kind of the money from the, the Champions League will actually be, you know, shared out around the nations rather than going straight to England, Spain, Italy, France. You know, that's the yeah. problem. And um, is, again, I guess we're in a capitalist society, you know, all this kind of thing of having a monopoly on who's the best and whatever. But the fact is that that, that is a real clear problem in, in football at the moment where there's too much power where the money lies. And as much as I you know, love the fact that the Premier League is one of the best leagues in the world, something needs to change. And I think if you made the Champions League a two-leg knockout, that could actually be a good start, to be fair. So I, personally, I would love it. I would absolutely love yeah. it. I think that'd be great. Yeah. And, you'd want, and, and, and like, I don't know about you, but I only watch Champions League. Maybe if there's a as a decider game six of the group games i might watch that and i might watch semi-final and the final that's it unless there's a real juicy game like a real madrid versus barcelona in the last 16 or yeah. actually can't even do yeah. that can they because they they can't no, be playing no. against each other so but, yeah if you get a juicy group game you're yeah, buying munich real madrid or buying munich barca like it is this year then you probably might give that a watch but but even yeah, then it doesn't know, have too much stages. bearing does it because yeah. No. They're both going to go through more than likely. I watched Liverpool Athletic Club Madrid the other week because I thought it's always tasty between them two. You know, there's a lot going on. Klopp and Simeone always have a little bit of a niggle with each other. And then, um, obviously, Athletic Club knocked out Liverpool in one of the last games to have like fans and that before the whole lockdown 
first came in 18, 20 months ago. But, you know, Liverpool gave him a right scene to, but it was good because, you know, I knew it would be a bit of a needle game. But, you know, more, more often than not, Champions League might be on. I've got BT, but say to them, the better half, let's just put some on, like a drama or something to watch instead. I can keep an eye on my phone if I want to. I'm not massively pushed for watching at that early stage. But like you said, if you know there's some riding on it, you're like, oh, Man United lost, you know, two nil away in the first leg to like a, you know, a um, like you said, you know, an unfancied side, you know, maybe a, you know, Red Bull Salzburg or something like that. And you're like, oh, they've got it all to do in the don't they? I'm going to watch that because United have got to go out firing, and you know, why is the in deep trouble? So if there's more riding on it, you're going to watch it more. You'll get more people watching it, and I think that'll that'll work better. But yeah, like you said, it's ain't going to happen. Um, but it should be great if it could do, definitely. Okay, well, we're deep into extra time now. So uh, <laughs> next question from Johnny. Clubs get lamented for not being loyal to managers and sacking them too soon, yet Man United have stuck by their managers for too long. Mourinho, Van Howe, and now Ole Gunnar Solskjaer are getting panned for it. What's the right balance? Panned? Is that an orphan word? Oh, yeah. Yeah, panned. We say panned, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Getting panned. Yeah. You'd call it getting, you know, getting ribbed for it yeah. or something. You guys would yeah. yeah, you know, but yeah, getting getting panned for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's <laughs> great northern word. Yeah. <laughs> but but um but yeah, I think generally clubs who keep all the managers will eventually, you know, do well. Look at you know Burnley. They know if they get if they get rid of dice, they're in dire trouble. You know, but do they yeah, though? Yeah. But do they? And this is the thing. Yes, what if they had gone? What if they had gone out there and gone? All right, Daesh, you've only got us to this point. Let's get Patrick Vieira in, and then in he comes and he does what he's doing with Crystal Palace, playing good, attractive football, pushing them up the leagues. None of this, not this, this long One ball. Season. Ashley and it's not even a full season yet. It isn't, but you don't know. You can't, that... you can't. You can't judge him on that yet. You know, it's like people raved about Lampard that first season, then second season. They were falling apart, you know. There's something that is, can be said here for the consistency of a manager and team. Look, Sir Alex Ferguson, the greatest football manager of all time, arguably, you know, he didn't do anything for United for the first four years, really. He nearly got sacked, you know, got saved by a job, but they persisted with him because they knew what the end goal was and then it started functioning and delivering, right? But where now, where not... was where was the power then? Where did the power well, lie then? Well, yeah, it's it's different now. Yeah, I completely agree on that. From you know, these owners want results quicker, or but you know, then again, they want they want if the money's coming in and the team aren't necessarily winning results. Some of them aren't that bothered. The United owners know that United are going to be in in, in thereabouts. They're probably going to be in top four most seasons, um, so they're going to get the money in. So at the moment, they've, they've been and tried Van Gaal and Mourinho, and things have not worked out even with the, these high level ones. So they know that Ole has got the club at the club's best interest at heart. You know, he's Manchester United through through one of the bargains of the of the nineties, probably. You know, for in terms of what he delivered, in terms of what they paid for him you know, as a player. And I think you know it's it's difficult to, to sort of do that. I mean, don't get me wrong, yeah, chances are they're gonna get rid of him by the end of the season. You know, I don't think they'll have to go on some really, really bad run to to um to be to sack him, I think, before the end of the season. 
But it's I don't necessarily think he's done a bad job for United because the people before him weren't really, you know, Manchester United type people and you know he's he's brought things in. They should be doing better than what they are doing against the bigger sides. But, you know, I think Liverpool and City are just miles ahead of them and Chelsea as well and something they need to make a decision on. But, yeah, for, for me, I think it's, generally speaking, barring you, you, you sort of contes who seems to just go somewhere and makes it work and then he leaves after about 18 two months to two years. He don't like staying around, hanging around and getting his feet like his feet sort of get too dry. He likes to go and dip his feet in a different ocean, does Conte, doesn't it? So, but I think more often than not, you, you look at the teams who've had the success, they've got managers who've stayed there generally long, more longer than, than, than most. Well, I, I'm, what I'm going to say is that I think personally... Unless you're Watford. Well, this is the thing, right? So, obviously, I, I, I support a team that are quite happy to set their manager willy-nilly. Personally, for me, with Watford, I don't have a huge issue with it because I'm used to it. I know what to expect. In Italy, this is how things roll. That's what happens mm. in Italy. They, oh, yeah, they have the merry-go-round, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Mm. In, in Italy, they, they have certain managers who will quite happily move on. They'll get promoted to Serie A and they'll quite happily move on before even you know, t- kicking a ball for the next season because their job was to get him promoted to Serie A. They've done that. Then they go and move to another team who get and they'll try and get them promoted to Serie A as well. So all I would say personally is I think that back in the day, the Alex Ferguson days you're talking about, there's a very, very big difference to what there is now. The power is with two sets. There's, the power is with the players because that's where the money is. You can't transfer players in and out willy-nilly, so you can only get rid of the managers. You put a lot of money into these players, so therefore you need someone to get them going. If they're not interested, then I can understand why people sack managers so quickly nowadays because the transfer windows and all that kind of stuff. But for me, it's all about transparency. I think personally, I would be a lot happier with Watford if when they were sacking these managers, they were telling us exactly why giving us an idea of they sacked Nigel Pearson a couple of games before the end of the season. Now, now maybe they were saying that we felt that Pearson wasn't doing the job that we asked him to do, and therefore we gave Hayden Mullins a chance for the last two games because we wanted people to maybe express a bit more freedom on the pitch, whereas Pearson was asking to be regimented or something. I don't know. That's just yeah. a, an assumption. I don't know. But you just want a bit more transparency from the owners to say, we are going to go for this manager because we believe he can get us defending properly. We won't keep us, we'll keep more clean sheets and therefore we'll, we'll have a chance to be more competitive in more games rather than this guy's coming in. Okay, cool. And then he says all the same nonsense that the, the last guy said, oh, I love Watford. Watford's a great club. What, what, what doesn't mean a thing to, to us nowadays because we hear it all the time. You just, you just kind of like keep your fingers crossed that one of them will be the next manager that keeps us going. But for me personally, it's just transparency. It's like I, I would want, in a perfect world, I would expect, let's just say we start the season and Patrick Vieira has gone to Crystal Palace. He's had his pre-season. He's come into Crystal Palace. He has got some kind of method 
in an, uh, and an identity that he's putting forward to Crystal Palace players and fans. And he wants him to come with him on this ride that he's putting out there for them. And it seems to be working. Now, it might not work for the whole season, but it it's, it's something that is kind of giving them a new identity away from what Roy Hodgson was doing. A very successful manager, Hodgson, but obviously his way of playing was slightly negative. It worked because Palace could have got relegated the season he came in. They could have got relegated seasons after that because they weren't probably the best squad in the league. But what he's done is he's given them a platform that they now are able to bring in a manager who can try to bring something new to the table. Now, I would say if Patrick Vieira got sacked after four or five games, that's just not fair. If he's, you, You've got to basically give them at least, in my opinion, half a season for them to implement their identity. If it doesn't work, or if there's been a problem and there's genuinely a reason why the manager's got sacked because he's, he's I don't know, been tapped up or he's you know been mouthing off or whatever behind to the media, I don't know, then that's different. But if he isn't getting the results and he's there to bring a certain identity and it's not working, then I would say at least half a season before you then start making decisions. Because, yeah. you know, realistically, the standard of football nowadays, there shouldn't be a team in the position that, like, say, Norwich are in at the moment. That shouldn't be happening. I don't really understand their situation. They, they still have a very good yeah, set yeah. of football players there. They shouldn't be doing as badly as they're doing. Same with Newcastle, really. Okay, Benjamin Marion. We, he, he's, his question is, who since the start of the Premier League has been the biggest disappointment after a big money move? And who has been the, the best bargain signing who's flourished? So okay. who have you got, mate? Well, going back to like the 90s, Thomas Brawl into Leeds for 4.5 million. You know, he'd have, you know, like a superstar in 92, 94, but he didn't really do anything. So then you got Sergei Rebrov, Francis Jeffers. Um, Aquilani who went to Liverpool for decent money Alexis Sanchez from Arsenal to Man U massive flop he wasn't a flop at Arsenal though brilliant for Arsenal but the biggest two for me are Andrei Shevchenko from, from the ACL to Chelsea I think you know Chelsea just he was sort of he'd, he'd hit his prime at, at AC Milan and he didn't really come to the English game once you've gone past your prime because of a faster pace and everything Unless you're someone like a free bag, you're being a rich. Um, and then the, the main one for me was Juan Sebastian Veron. I think he was the biggest disappointment. And the fact that he got a move from Man a move to Chelsea as well after the, they're not really doing much at Man United um, was just an even bigger thing. So he actually had two clubs he went to in the Premier League and a major flop at both, in my opinion. So one Sebastian Veron, because he was a quality player. In Italy, he was fantastic. Played for relaxed Lazio, and we were like winning the league and stuff like that. He played for a great Argentina side, which frankly didn't win bugger all, um, which was good. Yeah, he was such a good player, and you know, I was really excited in that when he when he joined Man United, thinking, oh yeah, he's gonna just you know, be quality. And he saw some very short, you know, couple of glimpses of it, but he was just a huge flop, and he was a lot of money. Chelsea bought him and he was a huge flop again. He's, he's the main one for me. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I actually put down Shevchenko as well for this. I thought he 
he was just oh, he's like so good back in the day for Milan. It was just like, you know, when he went to Chelsea, it was so exciting. The idea of this player who had been that good. I think Fernando Torres Chelsea also has to probably be out there as like maybe it was a bad injury or two that led him to his drop off because he was so good for Liverpool that when yeah. he went to Chelsea, you were just thinking, oh, this is interesting. But he was awful there. I've actually put down a non Premier League player, and that's Freddie Adu. Do you remember him? Oh, he was yeah. <laughs> uh, he was in the old football manager as like a, a wonder great kid. Football manager. Yeah, he was he was a wonder kid at the age of like 13 or something. And everyone was talking about him every single year. And he actually, I think he got he got a couple of moves around. I think he signed for Benfica. Could be wrong. But yeah, the he went to the Portuguese league, didn't he? And then but yeah, I think yeah, he, he was one, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. it's more the fact that in like I say, if you go back to the, the football manager game, he was meant to be from at the age of like 13 it was ridiculous because you can't even do it now like but... the next pelle weren't they yeah like and he, he yeah and he, he he was going to be playing the best football like throughout his whole career and he was going to be playing for 25 years or whatever because he started so young he's like a big guy even at the age of like 13 14 but yeah he's biggest disappointment in this in in the world football but Shevchenko it, it has to be for me the premier league Bargain wise, I've got the main man, like one of my favorite players, without a doubt, Eric Cantona. For me, Howard Wilkinson trying to sign Dennis Irwin off of uh, Man United. And instead, he sold Eric Cantona for something like one million or something like that. It's ridiculous. And Eric Cantona, when he was unfit or when he was suspended, Man United just were nowhere near the same team. He just seemed to bring them all together. Yeah, it's, it's such a shame that he retired so early, but what a player. Yeah, he was yeah, he was world class with Cantona, wasn't he? And, and a bargain, really. So yeah, no, nah, definite bargain. Nah, can't fault you in those ones. Who who was your bargain player? Oh, I went for Oligon as Oscar, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, because I just thought he was what he did United, he scored goals and of lots of goals and he you know he was he was a player who just you know you never saw like got heard of him complaining he was the super sub you know playing second fiddle but every time he came on he scored goals he scored goals in big games as well he, he knew where the back of the net was and that was the big thing tell you what he, he might have a part to play in this next section from our man dentos he's asked us to put together a cult hero 11 and if you're not aware of what a cult hero is, it's it's basically the player who is not necessarily the best player for the club, but a, a player who is most loved at club. He's used an example of Rory Delap at Stoke when they used to have that ridiculous throw-in when teams mm. used to keep the ball out for a corner to avoid it going up for a throw because his, his throw was just so kind of direct and flat. It was no one knew how to defend it. I, honestly, I are they? Uh, yeah. That was ridiculous. That that Premier League defenders were getting caught out by that. But yeah, oh, it's crazy. It was. Crazy. He, he was an interesting person to have in FPL because he didn't really get as many assists as you thought he might have done from that because he'd get quite a few flick ons or it'd be mm. quite a few scrambles. But ha have you got an eleven, mate? 
No, not as such. I've just gone to like a select number of players who I thought real sort of cool heroes for their clubs and I didn't go for that because I, I you know, I found that with some areas I found there was a lot of players in certain positions, similar positions generally speaking, but so I didn't go for a full eleven, you know, but I, I named about I think I named about eight players really who I thought were just really the epitome of, of that sort of tag is how I went for it. Yeah. Come on then, who who have you got? Who have you got? Well, this guy, I've got a bit of bias to him because he played for Rotherham for years, but for Man City, Sean Gota. Feed the goal, goal and he will score. And yeah. he will loved by the City fans and, you know, and, and just, yeah, epitomised everything what they were, you know, used to be before they, they got rich and everything. But yeah, Gota was, was massive on that. Glad he played for Portsmouth. Everyone just talks about him. Mr Primus. Well, who didn't talk about Lim, him? Limboy Primus. Yeah, when it, when you when you hear Portsmouth, he's the first name that people think of in terms of a player. And you know, I challenge you to say different because that that's who you will remember. You true football fans, you think, yeah, definitely Primus all the way. Wimbledon, the crazy gang. I mean, Vinnie Jones is the man there, isn't it? You know, I know he played at other clubs, but you know, you think Vinnie Jones has got that celeb status now and. What he brought, you know, that crunching tackle in the FA Cup final, which would probably get you sent off today. Steve McMahon just got up and carry on as normal sort of thing, you know. But yeah, Vinnie Jones was a, a big, a big sort of cult hero in my opinion. Um, you've already mentioned Canton Art, Man United, obviously a cult hero, Solskjaer as well there. But um, I sort of put then JJ Kotcher at Bolton. I mean, yeah, he's brilliant. I think, he was he was brilliant as a player as well, but you know everyone loved the time when they had players like him, Jockey was playing for him. But you know JJ was the man. You know he was the one on match of the day. Everyone was purring about, and Bolton sort of had players who could play football in the team and stuff like that. So he he was a big one. I mean it's probably quite an obvious one this next one, but Liverpool, Steven Gerrard and Jamie Carragher, two basically cult heroes for Liverpool. You don't think about Liverpool without thinking about them two sort of players in the in the in the more modern game you know, in the recent years. They they were they a bit my Liverpool. I suppose the one the funny thing about Jamie Carragher is he was actually an Everton fan. So you know, well he was. <laughs> so yeah. Um, but you know, the, those are like the main ones of, that, that I had. Um, you know, I could have gone on for loads, loads more, I know, but you know, you had the likes of Steve Grizovich at Coventry City back when they were in the Premier League and you know and and, and whatnot. But um yeah, I think you know my favourite one is 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 definitely Mr. Primus and Sean Gota. They're my favourite two cult heroes. Nice. I, I've got an I've got an eleven, right? So Go I read on, I read this question and I gave myself a criteria that unfortunately I didn't share with you state. Because <laughs> we could have, it could have been quite a good feature, actually. But yeah, I, I've what I've done is I've taken current Premier League teams, picked out an individual cult hero. They can only have one per team, and I've got a, I've got a formation, and everything. So I've gone with a free, free five-two, and I'm starting off in goal: Julian Spironi, Crystal Palace. The guy was their player of the season probably every year that he's playing pretty much. It was either him or Zaha at one point, but he used to wear the the, the jogging bottoms. Joggers. And yeah. Um, yeah, he was quite a character. I've also, and he also had his, his ponytail for a bit and then it 
got cut off and all that David Seaman style. Next, uh, next player I've got is I've got Tony Hibbert of Everton. So mm. diehard Everton player, definitely not the best player in the pitch without doubt, but probably the most committed always it was like an old school footballer, but playing in the early noughties. Um, and I'm pretty sure that when he signed for Everton, I can't imagine many Evertonians being too excited about him, but he had a great career there. The next one was Olaf Melberg at Aston Villa. Reason being is because the guy, you know, 110% all the time. Yeah, I mean, he was determined. Captain, the fact is the guy was Aston Villa through and through as well. I mean, all these cult heroes pretty much are, but the fact is that he was there when they probably the last time they actually had a real successful team who could compete at the nearer the top of the t- of the uh, Premier League table when they had like Agbon Lahore and Ashley Young, Gareth Barry, that kind of team. So the last defender, it was tough because I did want to have Eric Cantona. I did want to have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's in this team, but I had to take them out so I could get this guy in. Dennis Irwin did actually yeah. mention him earlier. Mm. Really good, really good defender. Right back, left back, predominantly left back, but could also play right back. Played some goals. Yeah, mm. got got forward, but quite professional. Just got on with the job. Never complained. Got the got the move to United from Oldham. No fanfare or anything, and then left. No fanfare or anything. You know, it was just just did his job. Got the trophies and walks away. That mm. kind of guy. Going into midfield. I also have Vinnie Jones, but I have Vinnie Jones for Leeds. So not many people know this of our generation, but Vinnie Jones actually played for Leeds the season they came up to the top division back in the day and was like, basically it was all about the structure of the team and, and how they wanted them to be a little bit harder, a little bit more aggressive. And they brought him in. It all worked perfectly. Leeds went from being a struggling, you know, division two team to getting, to the top division at the time, Division 1, now Premier League. Unfortunately, sold him. They didn't think that he'd be able to make it at the top of the league, which he obviously did with Wimbledon. But yeah, so he he was a cult hero at Leeds, made a big impact there. Then I've got Matt Letizier at Southampton now. I know the criteria of a cult hero is not the best player, but I probably similar to what you're saying with Gerard and Carragher, Letizier was the most... Southampton. Yeah, he was, he was like you know, the most loyal football player, probably to the detriment of his career overall and his England career. But the fact is the guy came through the youth team, played for Southampton, was the Southampton's best player for nearly every year that he played and basically turned Southampton from being a, you know, a team struggling for relegation. It it kept them up every year. The year that he retired was like the first year they got relegated from the Premier League, which yeah. was, yeah, yeah. wasn't a surprise. Yeah. Yeah, it is a clear and obvious choice for me as well. I mean, you, you, I think Southampton, though, back in those days, probably had a number of cult heroes. Jason Dodd. Um, Marion Marion Parhas. Marion Parhas. And Francis Benali. Yeah. Everyone loved Benali, you know. And, you, you know, so, but yeah, Letizia was the, the main man, definitely. Yeah, 100%. Then we've got um, Mark Noble, West Ham. Again, similar to Letizia. His whole career has been at West Ham and he's pr- probably not the most talented football player that's played for West Ham, but 
very determined, great penalty taker, someone that came up the divisions with them when they got relegated, West Ham fan, all that kind of stuff. He's, for me, someone who would fall into that category without a doubt. Next one, Jonas Gutierrez, or it could be Jonas Gutierrez, I can't remember now. Another player, this is at Newcastle, another player who I think he got relegated with Newcastle, but then they came back up with them. He got diagnosed with cancer, if I remember rightly. Came back, played for them, scored for them when they were back in the Premier League. And Mike Ashley showed his class and, and released him at the end of the season. But he made his mark on, on Newcastle fans. They loved him. Scored some great goals for them. Attacking kind of yeah. right winger. Yeah, he was... He was, he was, he was sort of... He put a lot of effort in, didn't he, Gutierrez? Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, it's like, I think there's another player who has also gone through something like that is, is like uh, Stylian Petrov. He's not in this, yeah. by the way, but I'm just going to say that both of them came through and yeah. worked extremely hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but you have a bigger legend at Celtic, probably, I think. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. But um, Gutierrez, to come back from that and then score... And then to get released, it was a signal. But, you know, the fact is, like I say, he made his impact. Newcastle fans loved him and, and still love him. Um, last midfielder, who arguably could have gone into the striker category, but I put him as a midfielder. As a player that I think is an even bigger cult hero than Sean Goater at Man City, which is Georgie Kinkladze. Oh, yeah, what a player. Georgian, Georgian legend. Um the only Georgian player I'm sure most of our generation know of. But this guy was incredible. Now, if you've never heard of Georgia King Kladze and you're listening YouTube to this podcast, please just pause now, go onto YouTube, type in King Kladze, K-I-N-K-L-A-D-Z-E, and just watch and admire the goals he scored in the Premier League for a struggling at the time, struggling Man City. This guy was like a Georgian Messi. He really was. And he scored some unbelievable goals. Unfortunately, he just didn't score enough of them. And he didn't wasn't anywhere near as consistent as Messi. But yeah, unbelievable player. My last two strikers, I've got Dirk Kaup for Liverpool. This was tough because I was tempted to go with Peter Crouch, but I just thought Cal was probably more of a cult hero because he was more successful. The whole thing with him was that he would, again, another one who run through walls for the club. You know, you could play him right midfield, left midfield, centre forward. He'd probably even play at the back if they asked him. He just looked like he loved it. And he, he, didn't necessarily have the quality you'd think as a Liverpool player, but he scored a lot of vital goals and he took penalties as well in the vital moments. So he was a player that they loved. And I'm going to leave best till last here. And like I say, it could have been Cantona. There's quite a few strikers I could have gone with, but I've gone with Gianfranco Zola at Chelsea. The The reason I've gone with him is because he was such a talented football player obviously made his name for Italy and for, you know, for Palmer. But when he came to Chelsea, his career wasn't really that successful at Chelsea compared to like, say, a Didier Drogba or, you know, like a Eden Hazard. 
but he still left his own imprint on that club with the way he played the game, scored some quality goals, you know, maybe didn't win Premier League trophies and, you know, maybe didn't win as much as his kind of um, talent deserved, but the guy was an absolute gentleman and an absolute superstar. So that's my, that's my cult 11. Brilliant. Nah, I'm so well. That just finishes that off perfectly, that team. One of that. Yeah. Can't, can't argue with that. Very good cult 11 there, man. I should, I should have really, I should have gone down that cult 11 route. Could have really pulled some out of the bag. But I mean, well, you, you picked out players that I've definitely been considering. Yeah. No, 100%. Okay. Well, definitely start. I hope you guys enjoyed this, this NASCAR. It's been a long podcast, but ultimately for us, we want to get every question out there. We want to answer everything that came our way. We do, you know, we really, really do appreciate the amount of effort and time that some of you guys went to to get those questions. And you know, if if you have any more, please send them, and we'll build them up again, and and, and maybe do another one of these in the next international break, which won't be until March next year. So we've still got a bit of time now till we get that. Yeah, but, um, definitely so. Yeah, we, just just to kind of um, remind you our Twitter handle. So states is at FBL underscore Northerner, and the Twitter handle is FBL underscore Southerner. Brilliant, excellent, and <laughs> it's been a long podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's been great. Hopefully, people enjoy it, and um, as much as we have discussing all these things. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening and we'll be back with our normal episode next week.